Hey, we're going to finish up um, our study through the Gospel of Luke today. So that'll be the last time you see that trailer. Isn't that trailer just like supreme? Isn't it just like, I want to listen to that over and over and over again. Uh, Luke does not disappoint in his last chapter. He's going to tie all of sorts of things together and really give to his readers incredible things for us to remember constantly if we're going to have success as followers of Jesus Christ. And so um, there's 53 verses in the 24th chapter. I'm going to read them all. It takes me just a little under seven minutes. So if you need coffee, right? Uh, so, so listen up, uh, and then I'm going, there's four basic messages that are th- uh, like themed throughout this, these 53 uh, verses, and I'm going give to give those to you as, as kind of an overview, and then I'm going to spend a little bit of time on each one of those things, because that's where we're going, okay? Are you with me? Everybody breathe a little bit, get some oxygen going up in that brain, happy new year. You guys are looking sleepy. Anybody cold? Just a little bit, huh? All right. Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? It's kind of funny, isn't it? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, pro- who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But when he hoped, but when he had hoped that he was the one, uh, 
But we, sorry, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands, he blessed them, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we recognize like these people in, uh, the, the, that we read about in this chapter, we, we can be just like them. Uh, easy, easy to forget what, you, what your word has said. Um, easy not to believe, Lord. It's our default setting to forget the truth of your word and not to believe. And so, Father, um, admitting that, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would come and that you would cause our hearts to burn. Uh, 
as we think about you and as we think about the resurrection, as we think about um, your post-resurrection conversations with these people and as we think about your ascension and as we think about this power to be given to us from you. And so, Father, would you have your way as we spend some time in your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, there's four themes, messages in these 53 verses. The first one is the resurrection is a shattering historical event. And I'm choosing those words kind of carefully. Um, the second thing uh, is that it, the resurrection is the key to understanding all of Scripture. Did you hear that in the reading? Um, and that there is a powerful message Jesus gives for the world. Did you hear that? It's a power, because of the resurrection, there's a powerful message. And then finally, did you pick up in, this, in these verses that Jesus Christ is King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who reigns over all authority. And those four things are just kind of themed and weaved in these 53 verses. First of all, the resurrection is a shattering historical event. Um, Luke goes into great detail to give us detail. He talks to us about all sorts of things. For instance, there were the names of the women that went to the tomb, and they went... Um, at six o'clock on Sunday morning. They, they couldn't have gone there before then because the Sabbath starts on Friday night at 6 p.m. and ends at 6 p.m. on Saturday, the Sabbath. And so they, as soon as the light came, they were off and, and it's specific. They waited specifically and their names. And then we have uh, the, the details that they had these spices specifically to go embalm. So they, they were not anticipating uh, that he was not going to be there. They were uh, anticipating he would be there and that he, that he would need to be embalmed with these spices. Added spices from what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, we learned from other gospel writers, applied to him quickly before the Sabbath started. They had to, they had to leave uh, the dead body of Jesus before uh, the Sabbath started because they, these were people that knew the law and abided by the law and they could not be close to a dead body during the, on the Sabbath. They would be unclean. And so we have these details. Uh, we have the details of the two people walking with him. And I think it's comedic. I think that, that, that middle story when he's walking w with these two men and they're talking about these things that happened in Jerusalem. And, well, are you the only one that doesn't know about these things? I mean, it just had to be so much fun for Jesus. Don't you think? Right? To be Jesus, the risen Christ, walking with these two people, talking about all these things. And it says in the text that they were not given the ability to recognize him. Okay? And, I, and you, you're kind of like, Jesus, you just did that like on purpose. You wanted to kind of enjoy this walk and kind of uh, see, see um, how much fun you could have with these two guys on this incredibly shattering historic day. Jesus has a comedic relief. I love it about the scriptures. It, it, tells it tells the details like they happened. It doesn't get all spiritualized or it does not get all intellectualized. It has this 
real earthly feel to it, just like you and I have an earthly feel to us. Have you noticed that about yourself? Uh, that you're kind of subject to gravity, uh, that there's certain just things about you that are just real and obvious. And, um, and so there's a, a grounding um, to this shattering historic event. Uh, there's the details uh, that are given about Simon getting up, Peter getting up and running to the tomb. There's, uh, there's times and people and issues that, excuse me, that Luke does not want a person to read Luke chapter 24 as something that is overly intellectualized or overly spiritualized. This is what we get from Scripture all the time if we pay attention. And so there's, there's gravity for you and I in our Christian walk to either go to the intellectualized part of it. We want to know the facts, right? And it's all about concrete detail. Um, and we, we, we have, have an aversion to spiritualizing it, so we go on a pendulum in our Christian walk. And, and we have a tendency in evangelical Christianity to intellectualize our faith. Would you, do you understand that about yourself as an evangelical? We just do. We want to know the exact theology. We want, to have the, we want to have that kind of in spades. There's another group in Christianity that spiritualize things right? Everything is a demon. Everything is, you know, a spiritualized event. You hear study and teaching of God's word, and it's bent towards a spiritualized interpretation. And so none of you in this room, including me, um, are beyond being sucked into these poles away from the central issue that Jesus Christ was both fully man and fully God, that he was in, entirely understood the spiritual uh, nature of the world and history, and he also in, in completely understood all of the knowledge and the wisdom and the insights in the world. So just be careful. I think the intention of Luke in, in Luke 24 and in his gospel is to really point out that we're going to either have a lean in our spirituality to intellectualize the Bible or to spiritualize it. Just, just saying, that's what I get when I read Luke 24. Be careful, okay? And I might return to that because I don't feel like you're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> All right. And so shattering historical event. Also, we learn a theme weaved throughout these 53 verses is that the key to understanding Scripture is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They simply did not know. It says sometimes they were foolish. That's used. You foolish and people who are so slow to believe. Or did you not remember that he said these things to you? And can't you relate? How often do you, you know, so subtly move away from and just, you just forget who Jesus is and who you are in Christ and what his way and his will is. I know none of you deal with that in this room. But a lot of people watching online, right? Those people out there? Yeah. Um, we have this problem 
of forgetting. That's probably why Jesus wanted to instate some real pragmatic things for human beings that would choose to follow him to remember, like do this in remembrance of me. Do you remember that phrase, right? I mean, so, so every time you break bread, every time you have a sip even of water, it's to remind you of the simplicity of the gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ is the bread of life and he is the living water. Uh, he is the vine, the true vine, right? Um, so uh, he wants us to have very sim- simple ways to remember him constantly because we leak the truth of God's word, right? We do. Okay, you're not convinced? Okay, why, why are we still where we're at, right? So many of us are like, how come I'm stuck in my spirituality? Well, probably because you have a gasket that leaks. Leaks, the, you forget. Where, where'd that oil go? Right? And so just be careful. Uh, the key to understanding all of Scripture is through the lens of Jesus Christ, specifically in this text, through the lens of the resurrection. Since he rose from the dead, not only the first 39 chapters of the, of the prophet Isaiah make sense, but the last uh, 26 chapters also make sense. The first part, for instance, just as, as an example, Old Testament, the first half of the book of Isaiah was about the Messiah was about the king who would come, the ruler who would come. The last half of Isaiah is about the suffering servant who would be the sacrifice, who would come and redeem by his own life um, the people uh, of every nation, starting with Israel. And so the Old Testament, and and it's not like there were not men and women who studied God's word incredibly in Old Testament times and memorized it. And people that Jesus was rubbing shoulders with in real life in that first century were people that had the, the entire Old Testament memorized. And they lived, they made a living at discussing and, and what does this mean and what do you think this means? They, they did this 24-7 for years and years to the point where they were experts. Jesus calls them experts in the law, but they did not see. And then the resurrection, see, part of the problem was when Jesus came as a human being and claimed to be God, no Israelite was allowed to ever worship a man, right? I mean, that's, that's Jewish law 101. It's commandment number one, have no other gods but me. Do not worship anything but me. And so when Jesus came proclaiming that he was the son of God, that he himself was God. Every person in that first century that would have ever heard his teaching was like, I can't do this. It's against my religion. I cannot ever worship a man. Do, what we see at the end of the, this 24th chapter in Luke is that these very Jewish people, it says, all bowed down and worshiped him. This is a shattering historical event. It is the thing that opens up the under, an understanding of what all the scriptures say 
the law of Moses, all the prophets, the book of Psalms, all pointing to Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, all sorts of things can make sense to you and me if we will read them and study them through the lens of Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. All of those 66 books of the scripture are about Jesus Christ. And, and, and so the resurrection, so another kind of as, as, as Luke is putting his letter together for us, as he's um, c- concluding in his, in his book, the book of Luke, he wants us to understand the scriptures. And the key to that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also see another uh, message that is themed through this, uh, these 53 verses is that there is a very powerful message for the world. The resurrection changes everything. Would you agree with that? This week, uh, we will do two funerals in our ministry. One tomorrow, right in this room, and another one next Saturday at Hoff Funeral Service. I guarantee you it will be the hope of the resurrection that the officiating pastors of those, of those funerals will take into those, those, those times. It is a powerful message that a person who dies in Christ will live forever and that, listen to this, and that they will be together with those that have gone before them who are in Christ. And that's a reality. It's, it's grounded in this powerful message that, that Luke is trying to show his readers through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a very personal message. It's a message that has a future, Right? right? Like death is not it any longer. Uh, and, and a good portion of those, I got a little excited. My throat got a little bit dry. I'll be back. I'm going to go off camera for a second. You know what happened, don't you? I forgot where I was. So we're just going to start all over. (laughs) You knew that was coming, didn't you? Yeah, okay. All right. Um, Powerful message for the world. Oh. And so since Christ rose from the dead, it is a very personal message to the human being, right? Everybody is worried about this. But the majority of people in that first century who studied the scriptures did not believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They argued all the time with the Pharisees about the resurrection, about the afterlife. There was not a belief in a core of Israel about anything to do with life after death. And so these first century Jewish people who had studied the scripture and been under its teaching for their entire life had to begin wrestling with something that they really had not ever wrestled with again. And that is that there is now life after death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he died, the scripture says, in our place so that we will not face death. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, even though he or she dies, lives, right? I mean, it's personal. It's certain because of the historical facts in these 53 uh, verses. It could not be just a figment of someone's imagination. There's too many eyewitnesses and there's too many details to make us think that this was just kind of some stoic um, message that was kind of spiritualized and that, you know, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have great hope. You know, that's not what's going on here. We have a hope that's solid for the future in Christ Jesus in this life and in the life to come, right? And so this is what Luke is really wanting his readers to wrestle with. And I know there's some people in this room that lost loved ones in this last year. I did a half a dozen funerals for families in this church. I know that we are hoping in Christ in seeing those people in the next life because, not because we wish it, not because we've studied scripture, but because Jesus rose from the dead, right? We have this future and we have this hope. It's certain. It's personal. And if I didn't communicate this, it's also marvelous. It's immeasurably marvelous, because some of us are going to die horrific deaths in this life. We're going to, like tomorrow's funeral is for a 40-year-old man. That's hard, right? That's young, a beloved human being. And sitting with his wife and family, I have the hope of eternal life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they do. As horrendous as a hand you might get dealt in this world, it will not ever overcome the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? This is, this is like something Luke wants us to really ingest and live out in a daily way. And so it's not only a shattering historical event, it's not only a key to understanding the resurrection, it's a key to understanding the scriptures, all of scripture. It's not only a powerful message for the world. Jesus is king over all, having all authority and having all power over all authority and over all power forever on he in heaven and on earth. Now and forevermore, he is king. He's the anointed one in this text. He is the one, he was a suffering servant that came and he died, but death could not keep him. He rose from the dead, giving the human race the hope that we do not have to fear death any longer. Sin's sting is gone because of Jesus Christ. And we need that because I don't know, last time I looked in the mirror a few hours ago, I was still a sinner. I know it's hard for you to believe. <laughs> Mary Beth is not here. I'll change that line in the next service, right? We won't give her an opportunity. Right? We're so lost apart from the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of sins, aren't we? 
but in Christ, the resurrected Lord. We have real hope. We have personal hope. We have certain hope. We have marvelous hope. Because it was a shattering historical event, y'all. Right? It happened. In the first century, amongst people that did not believe in the resurrection, but at the end of this chapter, they worshiped a man whose name was Jesus the Christ. Shouldn't have happened. And they should not have listened to the witness of women in the first century. Women in the first century had no jurisprudence. They had no authority. You, they could not go into a court of law and be a witness. That crazy? Yet our gospel, Luke's gospel here, highlights women. You would not do that if you were trying to create a legend in the first century. You would not do that. You would have it all nice and neat and all you know, art, articulated in just the right way because you wanted to establish a legend that would withstand time. Luke is not worried about that because the only thing that matters is that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died, and rose again. That's the only thing that matters. So four applications to this text. The first one is to remember. Well, how am I going to remember that? I don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, if I knew that, I'd tell you. Uh, I do know that I need to intentionally remember. I know that. I know that over and over again in this text, they did not remember what Jesus Christ clearly said to them. And I can relate with that. Anybody with me? Can you relate with that? Oh, I know it's in there someplace. Right? Uh, and I know that God um, died for me, rose again. I know that I'm supposed to, I think I'm supposed to love people like he loved. I forget that, so, right? So many things we forget. Okay, so remembering one of the things that you can do that I can do is we need to be in the word, not just to intellectually understand it. We need to be people that are in the word and with open minds and letting the word of God shape our life. Not just for an intellectual exercise. Joe, you're repeating yourself. I'm doing that on purpose. I am apt to forget if I am not constantly in the Word. I'm 64 years old. This will be probably the 43rd time in my uh, walk with Jesus that I have read through the Bible every year. And that's not my quiet time. That, that is my exercise time. I've got those things in, or I'm, I'm on a walk, or I'm cooking myself breakfast. The Bible is on. I am reading through, listening to the Bible once a year all the time because I leak. I need God's word constantly. And then I have a section of scripture typically that I take a year and I just focus on. This year, my text is the book of Colossians. I am going to read the hack out of and study the hack out of and memorize the hack out of. Is that okay to say hack out of? I'm going to do that with the book of Colossians. I'm going to get... I'm going to like graduate from kindergarten in the book of Colossians this year. But, but that's, I have to be meditating on God's word if I'm going to remember it. 
And this has to become habitual for me because the problem Jesus is pointing, Luke is pointing out that he saw is these people forgot what Jesus had just said. And I think we all can relate. The second thing is not only that we need to remember, it's we need to believe. Well, that's simple. Well, let's just go on then, right? I mean, <laughs> right? Uh, but belief is what Jesus says in John chapter 6 is actually the work of Christianity. The work of Christianity is faith. And faith, by the way, in the original language, it's a, the, the Greek word, just so you know, I'm really smart on this stuff. Uh, the, the Greek transliteration is pistos. Pistos means to be certain of. And the reason that that's significant is our faith is not based on things that we're not certain of. Our faith is based on shattering historical events like the resurrection. Come on, right? See, we have faith not as something that is in some nebulous thing that never happened, some concept, some esoteric philosophical thing. No, actually Jesus came, lived, became flesh, grew up, had a ministry for three and a half years, he orchestrated his own arrest, his own death, and then he rose from the dead. Historic, a shattering historic event is what our faith is based on, okay? Don't give me none of that stuff like faith is just like, you know, you Christians, you just, you know, you close your eyes and you don't really think through things. Our faith is based on the foundation of a real God who came as a man and who died and rose again. And we have to either choose to follow him and submit ourselves to his authority and his, his power or our own authority and our own power. It's your choice. But this man... I'm choosing to live my life under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, the real and alive, res resurrected Lord of heaven and earth. That's me. You get to choose. So remember and believe. The other two things are to be empowered. We need to be empowered. The last section of this thing is I want you all to go and wait in Jerusalem because I'm going to come and clothe you with power because you're going to be witnesses for me and just by the way as a commercial not next week but in just a few weeks from now on Sunday mornings we are going to begin a series uh, through the book of Acts that's our next big series that we are uh, working on right now in terms of the pulpit ministry um, and the, Acts is important because Luke is the same author of the book of Acts. And that Acts picks up right where Luke lives, uh, Luke chapter 24 uh, ends off, okay? So I'm excited to come together with you and to think about the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ um, really being understood more and lived out more through our study of the book of Acts, because I believe what Luke does in the book of Acts is he takes what he's, what he's introducing here in Luke 24, and it really helps human beings who want to study and apply God's word understand what it means to not only live under the authority of the word, but under the power of the Holy Spirit.
The Holy Spirit in our study is just introduced, rightfully so. This is a gospel. This is, this is before Jesus Christ ascends and sends his Holy Spirit, right? And in the book of Acts, we learn that he sends his Holy Spirit. And now we no longer just live under the authority of God's word, but now we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke is really wanting those things to be married in his last chapter of his gospel. Power and authority. Not an intellectualized faith, not in a Bible only. I know what God's word says. I'll get around to doing it if it's convenient for me. That's not what Christianity is about. There was a bunch of people in the first century who knew the scriptures and never applied it to their life. Can anybody relate with that? I, you're, you're, the, the guy preaching that you can relate. I know way more about the scripture than I do. <sighs> Why are you our pastor? I, I'm sorry. It's your reality too, though, if you're honest with yourself. Right? And so um, we're going to uh, work on, on those things. So, so we need to remember and believe. Application from Luke 24. Remember and believe. I need to be a person that's in the word I need to intentionally work at my faith that is real. It's certain. That's what biblical faith is. It's certain about the person of Jesus Christ, about his death and his resurrection. I'm certain about that. That's the lens through which I think about my life and the word and, and the world. Uh, that's my guide. And I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anybody need some power in your life? Right, I know the right thing to do, but why is it that I rarely follow through and do it. Can anybody relate? Oh my goodness, right? So the last thing, I think the last application in this particular chapter of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit not only wants to give you power, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you with joy. That's how Luke ends his book. And they were filled with joy. I don't know if the world today needs anything more than a human being that has a countenance that, 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 that bubbles up, that percolates up from a satisfied, joy-filled, peaceful soul that is radiated through the eyes and the countenance of a human being. Does, do, does the world need anything more than that? We need not only to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in our day, we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit with joy. And you cannot manufacture it apart from your yielding yourself to the ministry, the authority, and the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so these two things are married here in Luke chapter 24. Uh, the authority of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit are coming together. And we're going to learn more about that in the book of Acts as uh, this year unfolds. I'm excited about that, right? I'm excited to be with, uh, for us to be with one another under the authority of God's word, anticipating the power of God's Holy Spirit continuing to get his way in our life, right? I mean, I'm excited about that. So let's have the worship team come on up, if you would. And those that are going to um, serve communion, if you'd get yourself ready, that would be awesome. And so one of the things that is clear, I think, 
rather than me kind of giving another side message about communion, it comes right from Luke 24. They recognized him, those two guys walking with him on the Emmaus Road, they recognized him through the breaking of the bread and giving thanks. And so as we take communion today, yeah, come on, come on up and pass out those uh, that, that cups. Hey, remember, uh, there's, there's a cup and there's, there's, they're stacked. So make sure you get two of those and then just hold on to those and we'll, we'll actually partake together. And so uh, the idea of communion is to, there's two words, basically, biblically speaking, that kind of drive us in terms of what we're doing in communion. And one of those words is doing this in remembrance of him. So remembering him. So what, however you do that, if you need to close your eyes and kind of get focused in and think about that bread and what it means and think about that cup and what it means, you know, do that. If it helps you, you know, as we're, we're going to sing, uh, whatever it is that, that helps you get focused and remember what Christ has done for you, that he literally, when he died on that cross, you guys, he knew your name. He died for you. And then that, that cup, that represents the, the washing, the cleansing uh, from all of our past and our present and our future sins that, are only, uh, that only can come through Christ. So the first word is remembrance. The second one is to proclaim. And so by partaking that, what you're doing is you're saying, this is where I stand. I want to proclaim by taking this cup, by taking this bread, and by taking uh, this, this juice in this cup, I am proclaiming my faith in Jesus Christ. I am proclaiming that I believe he died. I'm proclaiming that I believe that he rose. I'm proclaiming that I belong to him because of his blood. That's what we're doing. We're remembering and we're proclaiming. This, this cracker, this little piece of bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Um, we have every hope about eternity because of the broken body of Jesus Christ for us. So take this and eat it in remembrance of him. There's this uh, new covenant that Jesus introduces. It's not unlike the old covenant. It's just completely ratified in Jesus Christ's death. And that there's this covenant God, there's this promise-keeping God who wants a relationship with you. And this blood of Jesus Christ that's represented here has sealed the deal in his relationship with you. And so drink this in remembrance of him. we give you praise, Jesus. You alone are worthy of all of our praise. And so, Father, as we, as we sing, just in response, I pray that you would move in people's hearts. And, and Lord, maybe someone here today is, is ready to surrender their self to Jesus Christ and, and give their life up.
Some of us need to return to you, Lord. We've taken you for granted and we need to return to you. I pray that you would do this work in our lives. And Lord, if there's someone that needs prayed for, someone that just needs listened to, uh, someone that needs to be validated as a human being, they just feel horrible. I pray, Father, they would leave this room filled with your joy, filled with your Holy Spirit, filled with the authority and the power of the Word and the Spirit of God, Lord. So have your, have your way, do your work in us as we sing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Why don't you stand up and sing?